Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read Romans 8, 18 through 30, although our sermon text uh, will be just one verse out of that, but I'm going to read the larger context, Romans 8, 18 through 30. But before I read that, let's pray together. Our Father, we, we just thank you for your mercy that you have already been showing us this morning. Uh, we thank you that we can rejoice in that and delight in that. We pray that you would continue to unfold to us your mercy and grace as we look at your word right now. We pray that you would teach us from uh, this book of Romans and uh, Romans 8.28. We pray that you would uh, give us wisdom from this text Uh, draw us closer to our Savior Jesus and uh, equip and enable us and empower us to go out and to serve you day by day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 8, beginning with verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Hope. We cannot live without it. It is as necessary as food and water and air. And lest you think this is some kind of preacherly hyperbole, uh, without some kind of hope, there is no reason to work, no reason to try, no reason to get up in the morning, and no reason to stay in bed. Even when we try to self-medicate with drinking or drugs, we have the hope of dulling life's pain. True and utter despair would lead to total inactivity, 
No option is better than any other. Nothing you do will make a difference. No choice, no action matters without hope. If you think something you do might make a difference in the world, however small, you have hope. If you think tomorrow might be a better day, well, then you have hope. If you think there is a reason to get up in the morning and there is a reason to try and there is a reason to plan and to work and even rest or play, then you have hope. Hope is pretty significant, and the Bible has a lot to say about it. We're not going to look at everything the Bible has to say about it this morning, but we are going to look at one verse. Of course, as with most things, Satan would mislead us about hope. And and this is the, the last lie in our series of lies that we tend to believe. And the lie that we are going to look at this morning is that it will all work out in the end. Our outline is this, the the lie about hope, it will all work out in the end. This lie denies brokenness and judgment. This lie destroys longing and urgency. And this lie distorts our hope. So first, the lie about hope, it will all work out in the end. Uh, We all want things to work out in the end. And so we, we go along telling people in different situations, don't worry, just relax. Everything's going to work out. Well, you know, the the subtlest of lies are the most deceptive. I actually believe all things will work out in the end. So then why call this a lie? Because it all depends on what you mean by all and work out and in the end. And just how you think that is going to happen. As the saying goes, the devil is in the details. What people typically mean when they say it's all going to work out is that whatever your situation is in life, it's going to work out. Uh, Maybe not the way you want, uh, but in some good way by the end of this situation. That is, if you just wait long enough, you will feel good about what just happened. Uh, Difficulties in life have a way of working themselves out. Nothing lasts forever. Just, Just wait and see. Now, again, one one of the difficulties about talking about these lies over the past six weeks has been that they are so subtle. And I don't want to swing from one side of the pendulum to the other. But to say that everything is going to work out in your life, in this life, if you just wait long enough, is a lie. Which brings us to our next point. This lie denies brokenness and judgment. First, it denies brokenness. Not everything will work out in this life. This lie denies that the transitory nature of the present age, everything is going to work out, doesn't mean, if it means anything, it doesn't mean that everything in this life will work out in this life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, as David read earlier, that our outer self is wasting away. And the things that are seen are transient. Fundamentally, this age will not work out. It will continue to waste away. Your children don't always come to faith. Your marriage doesn't always work out. Your health doesn't always get better. Your career doesn't always go as planned. Your classes don't always end up with a passing grade. Hope that depends on, that that necessitates, that needs things in this life to work out the way you want, 
That is not biblical hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Christian hope, biblical hope, goes beyond the present age. Now, don't mishear me. Right? God is at work. God answers our prayers. Things may go as we plan, as we hope in the present. But God's plans are not our plans. Now, God is good and wise, and, and he has a good plan, which he will work out for his children. But we are not privy to the details of that plan. We don't know what's going to happen in the short term. And you may not be able to comprehend Depending on your situation in this moment, you may not be able to comprehend how it could possibly end well when everything in this life seems to be falling apart. And so again, any hope that that needs things in this life to work out in this life, that is not biblical hope. The world is fundamentally broken by the fall and by sin. Nothing in this life working out will change that. It's the, the, the proverbial rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, right? If the ship is going down, hoping that your new arrangement of the chairs will work out seems to be missing the point. Again, I, I'm not saying God is unconcerned about this life or that we, should, that we should be unconcerned about this life, by no means. But our hope must look beyond it because this life is broken. And nothing that happens in this life will change that. And so this lie denies brokenness. Not everything will work out in this life. And even if it did in some way, the brokenness of the present age remains. Second, this lie denies judgment. Not everything will work out for everyone in this life or the next. I think everything will work out in the life to come, but not everything will work out for everyone. One of my favorite passages is Revelation chapter 21, which David read earlier. I I almost used it as our sermon text this morning. Uh, It's an incredibly hope-filled passage, and I'm actually going to read it again for you. It's not short, but it's, it's worth listening to these first eight verses of Revelation 21. Just, just feel how hope-filled it is. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes." And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, 
As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This incredibly hope-filled passage ends with a note of warning and judgment. The glories of the new creation will not be experienced by everyone. Jesus says the same thing in in multiple parables, right? In one parable, the, the faithful servant is rewarded and the unfaithful servant, the one who beats his fellow servants and and raids his master's fridge and breaks into the master's liquor cabinet, so to speak. In that parable, Jesus says of that person, the master of that servant, this is Luke 12, 46, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. In another parable, Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. The goats depart into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Half receive eternal punishment and the other half eternal life. It will all work out in the end. Fails to do justice to the day of reckoning. It will all work out in the end. But that is not good news for everyone. So the real question is, is it good news for you? So that this lie, this subtle lie, it will all work out in the end. This lie denies brokenness and judgment. And this lie destroys longing and urgency. See, this subjective element, how we feel, follows from the previous objective one, how things are. That is, if it is true that this lie denies the brokenness of the present age and the judgment to come, then it's also true that this lie destroys longing and urgency. First, it destroys longing. Uh, This world is not what it was, nor what it should be, and not what it will be. What this means is, if the human heart is working properly, there should be a continual kind of dissatisfaction. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about contentment, and now I am encouraging dissatisfaction. But they really go hand in hand. My contentment must be in Christ, because if my eyes are open, I will be dissatisfied with the present age. How can there be anything else? How can we be satisfied when children go to bed hungry? How can we be satisfied when marriages break down and end in divorce? How can we be satisfied when news agencies use the phrase compelled commercial sex instead of sex slave and when the sex slave industry exists and is alive and well? How can we be satisfied with that? How can we be satisfied when we know the selfishness of our own hearts? How can we be satisfied when we and everyone around us is being enticed to find satisfaction in the things of this age, things which inherently cannot satisfy and were never meant to? Our hearts were made to be satiated on someone divine, the creator, not his creation. But if we tell ourselves everything's going to work out in this life, we are giving ourselves the false hope that everything is as it should be. Any trouble we experience is just a mere bump in the road. This is the good life. Live it. Dissatisfaction and longing are downplayed. We urge a false contentment in the things of this age, but our hearts know better. 
And so longing is replaced with what? Settling, perhaps? A a perpetual wishful thinking, maybe? Jumping from addiction to addiction. Tomorrow will be better, we say. Always looking for the next thing because that thing will finally satisfy us. Or maybe cynicism. That's likely because if we think everything is as it should be and everything is going to work out in this life and then reality hits... Suddenly, I feel like I got a raw deal. Life isn't what I expected. Life isn't what I was told. And what is left is disillusionment, bitterness, and cynicism. So this lie destroys our longing for the better things that are indeed to come, the world to come. And it destroys urgency. If I know that not everything works out for everyone... If I know that there is a judgment coming, a day of reckoning, if I know that today is the day of salvation, that I am not promised tomorrow, then I will feel compelled to get right with God now, today. But if I believe that everything's going to work out in this life for everyone, then I will likely live focused on the present, doing what is expedient for the moment but detrimental to the long haul, which is the epitome of folly. We live for the moment, even if that moment is the next 10 years. 10 years is nothing when compared to eternity. Are you living for the moment? Or are you longing for something more, living for the world to come, preparing now for what is to come then? Do you have a sense of urgency that the coming day is is not an unmitigated good for all and that you need to be ready? And do you encourage others to be ready for that day as well? Don't believe the lie that that everything's going to work out. Don't worry about it. Just sit back and relax. No, the present age is broken. Things are not as they should be. And And if you want things to work out, you must get right with God today in the hope of better things tomorrow. So the lie, subtle as it is, is that it will it will all work out in the end. This lie denies the realities of brokenness and judgment. This lie destroys longing and urgency. And finally, this lie distorts our hope. As I said early on, I do believe that everything will work out in the end. Don't don't mishear me. It just depends on what you mean by that. Which brings us to Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. First, this text tells us for whom all things work together. For those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. Not, this means, not for everyone, but for a specific group of people. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul doesn't say that God works all things together for good because they love God, but for those who love God. This is the outward mark of this people, but not the cause of God's work. Remember uh, 1 John 4.19, uh, a verse that we should all remember, try to remember. We love because God first loved us. God's love is primary. Ours is responsive, but it's nevertheless real. Our love is a chief sign that we belong to him. But Paul describes God's people both from this human perspective as those who love God and from God's perspective as those who are called according to his purpose. 
Now, for whom do all things work together for good? For those who love God, those whom God has called. Now, you may think, well, that's not fair. Well, is it not fair? And Jesus says, come to me, all who labor, and I will give you rest. If we don't come to him, we can't complain of not receiving rest. Now, in this passage of Romans, Paul isn't, he's not talking about the, the gospel's call, but he's giving assurance to those who have responded to it. If you want to hear Paul's gospel call, we can turn to passages like Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You want all things to work together for you in the end? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Saved from your sin, saved from God's judgment, and saved from the brokenness of the present age. Of course, as you come, as you come to know the depth of God's love for you in Jesus, you will begin to love him. And as you respond to the gospel call, you will realize that there was a deeper, more powerful call of God at work, like the one that called light out of darkness. God, in his mercy, has called us to life according to his purposes. God's call, sometimes it is called his effectual call, has called us out of darkness into light, and that is the foundation of our hope, God's powerful and effectual work in our lives, drawing us to himself. So first, this text tells us for whom all things work together, for those who love God, whom he has called, whom he has drawn to himself through the gospel. Second, it tells us what works together for good. All things. God is the one doing the working, but he is at work in all things. Well, what does this include? Well, just look at the context in, in Romans, verse 18, the sufferings of this present time. Verse 20, the futility of creation. And verse 21, it's, it's bondage to corruption. Verses 22 and 23 say this involves our groaning over the troubles of this age. The point is that, that nothing is excluded. There is no moment over which God is not sovereign. All things work together for good. So we've seen the for whom and the, the, what, the what works. Now let's see the end of that work. God is working for good. All things work together for good. Notice what it, what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that all things are good. Some things are terribly bad. Some things are tragic beyond words. Some things make your heart ache and your tears flow. All things are not good. But all things work together for good. When Christians talk about rejoicing in suffering, we do not mean delight in the experience of suffering. We do not mean enjoy the pain. Christians are not masochists. Rather, rejoice in suffering means rejoice in the midst of suffering and even rejoice in the outcome of suffering, its purpose and its end. God is working right now in the midst of your suffering. God is at work, working all things together for good. The great Old Testament example of this, of course, is Joseph. Right? His, his brothers were jealous. They threw him into an empty well. They eventually sold him into slavery where he was falsely accused of a serious crime and thrown into jail where he was left and forgotten. Joseph's life was one long descent. His was a kind of living, slow death. But God was at work 
in those things. Eventually, Joseph rose to power in Egypt and was put in place. Uh, he put in place a plan to save the entire region of the world from famine, which he did. At the end of his life, Joseph's brothers come back to him begging for his forgiveness. And Joseph responds like this. In Genesis 50, verses 19 to 20, he says, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Meaning, Joseph is saying, I'm not the judge here. God is the judge. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And notice Joseph doesn't sugarcoat things. He says, you meant evil against me. But Joseph sees the bigger picture. God meant it for good. Something bigger was going on, bigger than anyone could have seen in the moment. God had a big and glorious purpose for Joseph and his suffering. Which brings us then to the last thing that, that Romans 8.28 tells us. For, for whom does, do all things work for good? Those who love God. What is working out for good? All things. Everything is under God's sovereign plan. To what end are they working? They're working for good. But how should we understand that good? Well, I want you to notice the, the phrase at the end of the verse, according to his purposes. When we think of my good, we often define that in rather narrow terms. In fact, Romans 8.28 doesn't even say your good, just good. The good that God worked in Joseph's life was not a narrow good for Joseph, though it included Joseph, but it was a grand good for all that region of the ancient world. What are God's purposes for you? They're not you being satisfied with the things of this age. That's too small. Right? Just as we would not be content if our children were satisfied eating hard candy and playing video games all day. There's nothing wrong with those things. But there is so much more to life. Those things cannot sustain. They cannot satisfy. We want, we want more for them. Are you still holding on to your purposes for your life? When we do that, it makes it hard to see how things are going to work out. We can't imagine how God can make this right. And no doubt, there are many situations in life that I look at and just think, I have no idea how this is going to work out for good. I can't imagine. I can't figure it out. But then I'm not God. Surely Joseph, sitting in jail, rejected, sold, accused, forgiven, he could not imagine how God would make that right. That wasn't part of Joseph's plan for his life. Nor was it simply a bump in the road on the way to Joseph fulfilling his dreams. It was a dead end for Joseph's dreams. For him to forgive his brothers and say at the end of his life, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph had to put his previous dreams to death and cling to the purposes of God for him. Now, of course, to truly appreciate this, we need to not look to Joseph, but to Jesus. Jesus said to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. He, he put to death his own agenda, his own purposes. And then he was arrested and falsely accused and beaten and mocked and suffered and died. It looked horrible. The crowd mocked him. You trust in God, let God deliver you. His situation looked hopeless. And then he died. 
but he died according to the Father's plan for good. Not a good in this life because death is the end of this life, but a good beyond death, a good through death, conquering death. Not a good in death, but through death in resurrection. And this is our hope. Our hope is that God will make all things right, all things new, all things perfect and glorious and joyful, not in the present age. He's working now to that end, but we're not looking to the present age. And not by you getting your dream job or your dream girl or your dream car or even fulfilling your life goals. Those things may or may not happen. This present age is an age of brokenness. Yes, there are, there are glimpses of resurrection, glimpses of glory as God is at work bringing hope. The age to come has broken in, no doubt. God is making all things new, and he's begun with the church. God is making us new from the inside out. We are the inbreaking of the coming age, our wholeness, our sanctification. The church is the, the beachhead of the age to come. And so there are glimpses, glimpses of glory. But those glimpses are not meant to satisfy us, but to give us a taste of things to come, to fuel our longing, our desire for better things. Our hope is that God will make all things right in the age to come when Jesus returns. And that everything that happens now, all things will work out in the end. Everything will work out in the end according to God's purposes in the coming age. But for now, we face death. We endure hardship. We accept trouble in the hope of resurrection. That means we must repent of all the, the false securities we cling to, the false hopes, the false saviors. What, what are you looking to for, for things to all work out in the now? What are you trusting in? What are you hoping in? What is your refuge? Is it, is it money or reputation or charisma or charm or education or family, right? These things cannot secure your future, not in any ultimate sense. They cannot ensure your happiness. Look to Jesus. Our hope comes from him beyond this life, through death, unto resurrection. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would give us this hope this hope that conquers death itself, this hope in the resurrection, that whatever we must face or endure this life, we can endure it knowing that you will work all things out in the end for those who love you, for those whom you have called according to your purposes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.